Hallelujah. A few weeks, few weeks ago, I made a statement, a prophetic statement, that the famine was over. I must say that I've never been challenged so much in all my life from what is that statement. I remember waking up the Monday after or that Sunday, I made that statement, and my first thoughts were, what have you done? You've made a statement which is, has the potential to impact people's lives, but what if? And immediately you must cast down the what if. The what if. And uh, Wendy on Wednesday evenings has been expounding that topic, that prophetic word, and I agree with everything you said, but I want to come again from that word this morning and uh, open it up again. Because I believe in it emphatically. The famine is over. Amen. You've got your Bibles. We're going to take three Bible readings and I'll show you the subtle differences between them. But it's the same miraculous event that takes place. If I was going to call, have a title, where's Dave? He's buried deep in his headphones. <laughs> if I was going to have a title this morning, it would be Provision. Provision. So come with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, and then we'll go to, keep your finger in there, Matthew 14, and then we'll come back and go to 1 Kings, okay? So you've got three fingers full of Bible this morning, all right? That will mess up your electronic devices, there'll be some short circuiting, probably some hot devices as they move around that quick. So two kings was where I came from on that Sunday morning, that prophetic word. And let's look at it again, read it again. And a man came from Baal and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in the knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, What? Shall I set this before 100 men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of God. Okay? Okay. Come with me to Matthew chapter 14. That well-known story of the little lad who um, gave up his lunch. And when Jesus, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying... The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, 
they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And he said, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fishes, looking up to heaven. He blessed them and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. And there were those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. Very interesting. Come with me to 1 Kings 19. Elijah. We'll start at verse chapter 4. 1 Kings 19. Verse 4. 1 Kings 19, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Elijah's on the run. He has just performed an incredible miracle at Carmel. Sometimes you're at your weakest when the miracle kicks in. He's on the run. All because the queen had spoken a prophecy over his life. You see, the challenge is always the word. The challenge is always the word. There will always be someone who will speak a negative word over your life. And yet God, at the same time, is speaking something positive. You either run to God or you run away from the fear of the negative. So he sat down under a broom tree. He's going to make a clean sweep of it. Mike Allen's gone to sleep, look. There he is. All right? Okay, mate. He hasn't been well this week. Never known him. I've never known him. I've a week and a half off work. But he has done. He's had to. He's been that poorly. We bless you for coming in this morning. And he prayed that he might die. That's not Mike. <laughs> That's Elijah. And, and said, it is enough now, Lord. Now take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I'm just like everyone that's gone before me. I'm full of faults. I've messed up. I've got it wrong. I'm running. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm on the run. How many have been like that in their life? Come on. Sin to tell a lie. Yeah. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Hey? And he looked, and there by his head was a cake, baked him on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You know, if you're wiped out, take rest. Don't soldier on. Your body's telling you you need rest. 
There is the natural recovery and the spiritual recovery. But they can run parallel. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time. I like it. Touched him and said, arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. What do you mean? The present state you are in, Elijah, you cannot cope with what is to come. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. No provision. The provision in all three issues or all three occurrences we've read here is the same. God provided. But there is a difference. In one, there were a hundred guys in the room with Elisha. And a, 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 a guy comes in and says, I'm going to tithe on what I have. I'm going to give 20 loaves and barley. And the servant says, well, that's very kind of you, but it ain't enough to feed a hundred men. But the word of the Lord came. Without the word of the Lord, what the servant was saying would have been right. But with the word of the Lord, the servant was wrong. So they prepare a meal. Now let me ask you a question. I've said the famine is over. I believe the famine is over because there is provision provided. But when does that provision kick in? When does it start to kick in? It doesn't kick in when it was first provided. The hundred men, the five thousand men on the mountainside, Elijah, when he saw it, it hadn't kicked in. It only kicks in when you eat the word. You can look at the provision. Can you imagine looking at the provision? These hundred guys. It's okay for the first one in the line. He's going to get a plate full. Can you imagine the guy at 95 back in the queue looking over the shoulder thinking, hang on a minute, don't put that much on our plate. I'm here. Can you imagine on the mountainside five loaves Two fish, five little Ritz crackers, because it's a little lad. When I went to Sunday school, I've said it many times before, there was a picture in, they used to put up on the wall, you know, a, five, a, a guy carrying a, a basket with five mega big loaves and whopping great trout hanging over the side of the, with their tongues hanging out, hanging over the side of the basket. It wasn't like that. But even that wouldn't have fed 5,000. Well, it wasn't 5,000. We're talking 20 to 40,000 people. But can you imagine the disciples? Jesus takes five loaves, two fish. He's got 12 disciples and isn't even going to feed them. But Jesus broke it, broke them open and blessed it. Now, each of those 12 disciples has got a basket with a fraction of 
Five loaves and two fish. I don't know what the percentage is, Mike. Come on, give me. Well, you don't know either. No. <laughs> Mass teacher. A percentage of five loaves and two fishes split between 12 of them. One got the head, one got the tail. One got a fin, dorsal fin. But there's not a lot in their basket, is there? From five loaves and two fishes broken amongst 12, shared amongst 12. Can you imagine looking at that and Jesus says, go and feed them. You see, it's not until you act on the word, you actually believe the word. Where's the basket? Give us a basket. Thank you, Jen. Oh, an empty one. We haven't took an offering. Can you imagine? I got a little scrap in here, a little bit of biscuit, a little bit of fish. I actually got the eye. That brings back memories. And Jesus saying, Rob, give it a glim, and he's going to have a meal. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> he takes everything that is in the basket, out. And it's not until he takes his hand and he puts it in his mouth that it becomes a meal. And as he's eating the meal, I look down into the basket and the scraps have reappeared. Have a go. And he gets a meal. And it says there was more than enough to satisfy them. And the miraculous thing at the end of the day was there were 12 baskets full of scraps. More than what they started with. Now, Elijah... Elijah's on the run. <coughs> He's woken up by an angel. And he eats. He has bread and water supplied to him. And he goes to sleep again. He wakes up and it's the angel's back again. The provision is reoccurring. Now, the difference between Elijah and on the mount of 5,000 men and two loaves and five fishes and the difference between the hundred men in the room. The hundred men in the room is exactly the same as the 5,000 on the mount. The provision was for the moment. 
Elijah's provision was for the future. Because he went 40 days in the power of that one meal. In your life, there's going to be times when you will eat a provision of the Lord that is for now. And there will be other times when God gives you a word and you have to run on that word for an indiscriminate or unlimited number of days. The difference between the two is a time factor. What's common amongst it is all three events only occurred because the word of the Lord said. All three episodes here, events, God said. You and I have to believe, and that's the challenge in provision. The provision has come, but it's not kicking in until you believe it, eat it, and live it. And you don't allow any other thought to pull down that provision. And it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. And there will be other things that will kick into your life to try to show you that the provision is not there. The famine is not over. Now, the famine is, in some cases, is not about the rest of your life being honey bed and roses. It's never about that. The provision is about, I have enough to get through today, and God will provide if I have to go on a longer journey. He will provide. And his provision will feed me and feed me and give me strength and give me direction. I don't need another word from the Lord because he has spoken to me. The provision is designed to sustain you for maybe for one day or for 40 days. It makes no difference. But there's provision. And it only kicks in. It didn't kick in when it was delivered. You can talk about the provision. You can look at the provision unless you do something with it. It's not going to kick in. That's our responsibility. Number one. I'm going to give you four or five points on the provision. Number one. No need is too great. 5,000 men plus women and children. It didn't matter if Tesco's bakery was open that morning. It wouldn't matter if Warren's bakery at the bottom of the slope of the grass was open. They can't feed 40,000 people. 
No need is too great for the provision of God in your life. Doesn't matter the size of the problem. No need is too great that God can't meet it and has met it. It's very interesting when we're in a situation we do a lot of talking to ourselves. Hmm. Nothing's changed. Hmm. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Nothing's changed. Good morning. You know, Sunday morning is okay, but Monday morning, eh? same old thing, same old week. Another week like last week, probably get worse. What was that, Wendy? I'm okay. Yeah, you can. Okay, bless you, Wendy. Bless you. No, nothing's changed. Prayer chain comes. You know, pray for the prayer. Yeah, pray on the prayer chain. Amen. In the name of Jesus. No, nothing's changed. Oh no, no, I'm gonna cope. I have great conversations. They're all rubbish. <laughs> no place is too far. Number two. No place is too far. No need was too great is number one. But no place is too far that he can't reach you. This happened in a remote place where there are 40,000 people on a hillside. Now, it raises a rather interesting point. 40,000 people came after Jesus, so the account tells us they followed him. Why? Because they saw in Jesus someone different. They loved his teaching because it was real. They saw what he did to sick people, how he had compassion on them and healed them. They came after Jesus regardless of bringing provision for themselves. They didn't prepare packed lunches. They said, where is Jesus? What's he doing? Let's get to him. And they disregarded all what we were doing. I mean, I remember way back going to Big Bree Beach on a Saturday with you, Catherine, your mum. We used to bring up, we used to have sandwiches. Iris, no. She'd have Tupperware boxes <laughs> with salad in. And we'd eat with our hands, and she had to have a knife and fork. She brought provision. We had cheese sandwiches. <laughs> Irish had quiche and salad. And sitting there eating it and sand. You know, it's not the thing to do. 
you don't go to Big Brig Beach or any beach with a knife and fork. You go with your hands and you eat a pasty or you eat sandwiches. But no, she spread a table. But the biggest problem was she never shared it. Not with you. <laughs> Forty thousand people had no regard, thinking about by the end of the day we're going to be hungry. By the end of the day, the kids are going to be kicking off because they're hungry. They just wanted to get to Jesus. I think that's a bigger miracle as the feeding. See, when you come after Je- when you really come after Jesus, you forsake other things, you will find him, and you will find provision. But while we're double-minded, while we've got one foot over here, loving what we're doing over here, and bolting Jesus on, the provision doesn't kick in. You might feel in a remote place this morning, you might be in a remote place this morning. Well, I got a key for you for successful living, <laughs> successful Christian living. Bloom where you are at. Stop looking at tomorrow and bloom where you are today. Where you've been planted today, bloom. And God will take care of tomorrow. It's already in his hands. He knows tomorrow fully. He knows everything about your tomorrow already. So why worry about tomorrow? We do because it's usually because we don't have a word from the Lord. Or we haven't gone to the word of the Lord. It can be both. My God promises rivers in a desert. He can open prison doors. You're never alone. You're never alone. You're not. You're never alone. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he said, I'm always with you. Always with you. Your feelings have nothing to do with the fact that he's always with you. When we first get saved, we're used to living on our feelings. But as faith grows within us, we reject our feelings and quote what is true. God is with me. I'm never alone. I'm never alone. But no place is too far for his provision. Number three. No time is too late for his provision. Well, it's been a long time. It's gone on a long time. You see, the provision came at the end of the day for the 5,000 men. At the end of the day, when we think 
There is no resource around left open to us. God's provision kicks in. It's never too late. It may be too late for natural provision. You might have something said over your lives regarding your health. But I'm telling you, it's never too late for God to step in. It was never too late when Sarah, not my Sarah, was 90 years old. She had a baby at 90 years old. It's never too late. Why did she have a baby? Because God had said she would have a child. Moses, for 40 years, thinks he's missed it. He's messed up. He's got it wrong. He killed an Egyptian. He's in the desert. He's in a dry place. He's serving his father-in-law. He thinks it's all over. I've blown it. Never too late. Never too late. Lazarus, dead four days. Open the tomb, he's going to stink. It's never too late. It's not over. It's never too late. Peter thought he was finished because he, 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 he messed up with Jesus big time. He denied him big time with curses and swearing. He thought it was all over. But God provided a meal on the beach. The provision came when Peter thought there was going to be no more provision. You need to hear this next bit. You really need to hear this next bit. And I'm preaching to myself as well when I share this next bit right now. God will never allow the memories of yesterday, yesterday's failures, to determine your future. God will never allow the memory, memories of yesterday's failures to determine your future. God says, I know the future I have for you. And that was in the midst of 70 years in exile. I've given you a future, a hope. It's not over. It's just beginning. Because his provision is for the journey. No time is too late. No time is too late. The guy, the criminal on the cross. Oh, what a story that is. What an act, a wonderful act of salvation. He starts out, two criminals, one either side of Jesus on the cross. One is blaspheming, but they're both blaspheming Jesus and God at the beginning. 
But partway through, one of them says, I deserve this. Have mercy on me, Jesus. When you come into paradise, I'm not asking for anything else, but just remember me. There's a picture there of repentance. And Jesus said, today you will be provision came at the moment of death. Provision came today. You will be with me in paradise. That thief is no longer a thief. He's a born again Christian. And he got more provision than his mind or his understanding could, under, could take. God will never allow the memories of yesterday's failures to determine your future. Hallelujah. So when you go down memory lane, I want to tell you something. God doesn't go down that lane. He said to me years ago, I used to do that. And he said to me on a, one occasion, and that's all it took, Rob, I don't know what you're talking about. Because your sin has been removed. I have wiped the account, your account. I've wiped it clean. When you bring it up, I don't know what you're talking about because I've forgotten it all. It's gone. You've got a clean sheet. Number four. No amount is too small. In both accounts, in fact, in all the three accounts, the provision seemed too small. Even Elijah, the provision of two cakes he ate on two separate occasions, obviously, wouldn't sustain you for 40 days running and walking through a desert. The water that he drank to eat those cakes are, is not going to sustain you in a desert for 40 days. Impossible. In both accounts, it's impossible. But what isn't enough by human understanding is the qualification for God to act. Look at the person next to you. Remember that scripture. He's chosen the foolish things. Have a look at the person next to you and say, I agree with the word. Your word's truth. He's chosen the foolish things to confound the mighty. He didn't choose the mighty. In fact, he never chooses the mighty unless they come to him in repentance. But he chooses the foolish things. (coughs) 
five loaves and two fishes or a sack load of bread and some grain and two cakes and a bit of water can't cut it. Can't cut it. But we've got to stop looking at how, about, at how much we think we have. It's not how much we have, but what we do with what we've got that matters. Look at the people sometimes who use what they had. God said to Moses, what have you got in your hand? He said, I've got a staff. Well, staff. But wouldn't stick. He said, use it. And the Red Sea parted. David, what have you got? King David, what have you got? Well, not wooden king, what he then. It was just David. David, what have you got? Well, I got this problem, Lord. I'm facing Goliath. Now, I didn't ask you that. I said, what have you got? I've got a sling. God said, that's enough. I pick out five stones. Five pebbles. And use what you've got in your hand. I've learned that God never adds to what I got in my hand until I've used what's in my hand. The provision is there to provide. And the provision is because the famine is over. The famine is over. But it's only over to those who are who believe what God has said and are living and eating and standing on that word when everything else is coming against them. The provision is the best provision you will ever have. It is the word of God. In fact, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven for you. So eat me. That's what he's implying. Eat me. Eat the bread. The bread is the word. Stop looking for something over there from God, miraculous to happen. Eat the word that has been given. And I want to tell you, the famine is over. David's sling and one pebble was enough to bring down a giant. But, you see, sometimes we finish there, but the account isn't finished there. The giant was not dead. Goliath was not dead 
by the pebble and the sling. He was knocked unconscious. David took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. You take the gifting, you take your gifting, you take what God has given you, and you add to that the sword, the word of the Spirit. And you'll bring down your giants and kill them. And they will flee from you. The widow, a destitute widow who's just cooked the last meal and given some to Elijah. And he says to her, get all the pots you can get because provision is coming. And so her son goes out and rounds up all the pots in the village. And God fills them with oil. For three and a half years, she lived off that oil. Provision can be for the immediate moment, and it can also be long-standing. It will take you into your future, sustain you and keep you. Only because God said, God said, and they did what God said. In your life, you need to do what God is saying to you. And you will see the provision of the Lord come miraculously through and take you into a future that you never thought that you could have. Because the enemy always comes to take your future away. He comes to say to you, this is never going to change. You've been in this for so long now. What makes you think this is going to change? The answer to that is, God said. You don't debate with the enemy. You simply say, God said. Number five. What are you going to do with your lunch? What are you going to do with your lunch? Boy could have eaten it. If it had been my grandson, he wouldn't have got to dinner done. He'd have had it. What's in it for me? You know, when you have that attitude, do you know what happens to you? Just leaves you lonely. What's in it for me? It'll leave you lonely. He could have sold it. I tell you what, today it would have been on eBay quicker than a twinkle of an eye. Who's going to give me the best offer? I got five loaves and two fishes. 100 pounds. Oh, 150. 
200 pounds. Three of oh, this is going great. But I'm still hungry. Could have sold it. You know how many Christians do that? They give up their gifting in pursuit of happiness. But they never find joy. They think they can find happiness. Jesus didn't promise you happiness. He said, I give joy. Unspeakable. Incredible joy. Which will keep you and sustain you. My vision is joy, not happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. He could have thrown it away. I used to do that. For three years I had to work on a building site. When I was an apprentice. Every day for three years, my mother did piccalilli sandwiches. <laughs> Yellow piccalilli sandwiches. Same every day for three years. No. Piccadilly sandwiches. In the end, it got. We used to eat in a canteen on site, and I used to feel embarrassed opening up piccadilly sandwiches. So in the end, on the way to work, I used to dump them and whip up the local shop and get a pasty. Don't tell her. Pick it. Three years of piccadilly. I can't look at it even now. It's the same with some Christians because something is kicked into your life. You can throw away your gifting and just wallow in piccadilly. You can throw it away. Throw it away for things of no eternal value. You have to evaluate your life. Am I living my life as Christ wants me to, that my value is determined by him and I value him so much. I'm not going to give up on this because that's happened. I'm not going to walk away from church because that's been said. I've sorted it out. I'm not going to ignore people just because of... Because when we're like that, we don't understand all the circumstances. We don't. Yet we make major judgments on what we think. And it's wrong. You don't know the circumstances. You don't see the full picture. It's harder as a pastor Sometimes we know things and we can't speak them. It's true, isn't it? Learning. You're learning. <laughs> it's hard. And people will make a judgment on you from what they think, but they don't know the full facts. I know there was an incident in my life for 12 years. A 
person sat in this church and had something against me for 12 years. I didn't know. I had no idea. And after 12 years, they came to me one day and said, Rob, I went to visit them on a pastoral visit for something else. And they said, there's something I've got to say to you. For 12 years, we've had this against you. Have you? And yet they come in and they'd be polite and nice, but they have this thing. For, for 12 years, we thought this is what you did. We've just found out from the source you didn't do that. I wasn't the loser for 12 years. They were. I didn't ask God because I didn't even know the circumstance. 12 years they carried that but they didn't know the full circumstance they made a judgment out of their own understanding and they were the losers but they got there in the end praise God He could have done all these things. The boy, he could have eaten it, he could have sold it, he could have thrown it away. But he gave it to Jesus. It's never a question of our ability. It's always the question of our availability. That's always the question. Are we available? What are you going to do with your lunch? Your lunch is your gifting. Well, I'm too old now. Done my bit. I want to tell you something. I've searched this book for years now. Looking for the get out clause. And I can't find it. <coughs> looking for the bit that says, when you get to X, you have to stand down. When you get to X, you don't exercise your gifting anymore. I can't find it. It's not there. Believe me, I've searched it. What are you going to do with your lunch? Your gifting. What are you going to do with your life? Because your gifting actually is your life. Spiritually speaking, your gifting is your life. It's what God's called you to be. That's life. The famine is over, but if you refuse to move in your gifting, for you, the provision isn't there. She actually obeyed. <laughs> the gifting is there. <laughs> if you determine to press through the crowd with their criticism, 
with her not understanding what God has called you to be. You won't know what to do with your lunch. You've got to resist the temptation to think you've got too little to offer. When he chose you for salvation, he knew what he was doing. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. He knows. He never makes a mistake. If you will place what you have, what you hold, into his hand, he will maximize your life. Ask yourself the question, is your life today being lived to its maximum? Or are you just going to have another week? Just another week. Get through another week of mundane spiritually. Where is the buzz that you had about your salvation? Where is that joy today? Is it still there? It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime today, but what are you going to do with your lunch today? Because it affects your tomorrow. Take the word of God. The famine is over. The provision is there. Eat the provision. Believe the word of God against all the odds. I will be better. You will be better. This is not the end. You have come in this morning in spite of your feelings. You've made it. It's changing. It's a struggle, I know. But God has strengthened you enough to get you in this morning. His provision is for you this morning. I love this song. Because this song has been written from experience. It's a lifetime experience that Hillary wrote down. God gave it to her. In her situation of becoming a widow, the provision was there. She wrote it from her heart. And it's anointed. Jesus has
Because he cares, because he knows. 